following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. This is, uh, you know, when you get to the end of Romans, it's also great, and it's quite easy to just kind of skip over these last couple chapters as nice little PSs on a postcard that were between Paul and the church at Rome. Uh, but as we look and unpack this a little bit, uh, we'll see uh, it really has incredible relevance for, for us as a church here in Chiang Mai. And Paul uh, explains really a lot of what his purpose in this whole letter is in this last chapter. Um, unlike most of Paul's letters, where Paul was writing to a church that was in the midst of a crisis or a theological problem, he writes the, the uh, letter to the Romans very generally. There's no great conflict, there's no problem, there's no huge heresy that he's battling in the church in Rome. It's a church he's never been to, and, uh, and he's hoping, as he shares in this passage, he's hoping to come visit on his way to Spain. And Paul feels like he's remarkably accomplished all of his mission in uh, the eastern Mediterranean, right, from basically Jerusalem almost, you know, through Greece. He's going to done that, check that off the bucket list. Next on my vision is to go to Spain, which would be, you know, the whole region west of, uh, of Rome and of uh, modern-day Italy. And uh, as he prepares for that, he anticipates this visit to uh, the church in, in Rome, and he says that he's looking for them help for the journey. He says, I need from you help for the journey. And he, he says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company. Now, that, um, that's a horrible translation. And there's two really important words that get kind of walked over. And it's unfortunate. I have, none of the translations really emphasize what Paul is trying to communicate here. So let me go back and do a quick word study. Uh, the two word, the first word is the word that's translated in, the, in this version as helped on my way. Okay, helped on my way. Uh, if you read through this, casually, it almost sounds like Paul is saying, hey, you know, I'm going to be going through Rome. Let's have a cup of coffee, right? We'll meet at Starbucks uh, as I'm traveling through on the highway, and I'll get off for a minute, and I'll, we'll touch base, have some coffee, I'll be on my way, right? Uh, maybe as you're going to your home country, you send out emails like that. Hey, I'm going to be driving through such and such a city. Let's do coffee, right? And it almost sounds like that's what Paul is saying here. But to get that understanding is to miss the importance of what he's asking and what he's stating. The word that's used here is literally the word to send one forward or to outfit someone with the help required for their journey. It's really the word to send, right? And Paul is saying, when I get there, I want to meet with you and I want you to send me on my mission to Spain. I need you to be outfitting me for the next phase of my mission as I embark on this new venture to Spain. Uh, what did Paul have in mind by this? What, did he, what was he picturing that the church in Rome could do to outfit him, to send him on his way? Well, we don't know, and Paul doesn't really say, but given what he writes in a lot of his other letters and how he did ministry, it may be things like this. He may have been looking for, obviously, supplies and logistical help, uh, whatever it took for him to go into a whole new area where he had never been, um, 
You know, maybe he needed material supplies, a donkey, I don't know, a, a boat, a ship. I don't know. He needed supplies. Beyond that, uh, Paul always worked in, in teams. And it could well be that he hoped that when he got to Rome, he would find teammates. He would go to the churches and he would find people who were from the regions of Spain, who knew the culture, who knew the languages, who knew the layout of the land, who would partner in teamwork with him. Um, he may have been looking for letters of invitation. And Paul understood the importance of this. In fact, some of the letters in the New Testament serve this role, like Philemon, where Paul uses letters to pave the way for somebody going uh, on mission. So maybe Paul was hoping some of them had connections with people in these regions who could write letters of invitation for him, who could smooth the way with the government and with local leaders. Uh, he certainly would, would have wanted to know from them insight into geography. Um, you know, I'm sure he was hoping that some of the churches had a bookstore with good atlases, right? Or if not, that he could talk to people who had traveled there and they could help him understand what this new region would look like. What would he expect when he got there, right? That's the kind of things that I'm, I'm sure Paul, being the strategic thinker and planner that he was, was thinking, when I get to church, I need you to outfit and equip me as I embark on a very new region of ministry. Um, the culture, the language, the topography, the layout of the land, all of those things would have been in- incredibly helpful for Paul, right? Um, uh, whatever the case... Paul identified the church in Rome as a, as a church, as a, as a key group of people who could do that for him. Second thing, he, he finished the sentence by saying, um, uh, let me read it read again. Uh, he says, um, um, verse 24, I, I hope in passing to go to Spain to be helped on my journey there by you, and once I have enjoyed your company for a while. Okay, again, this even sounds more like Hey, let's do lunch, right? Enjoyed your company. Also, terrible translation. It really misses the point. Uh, the word there is actually, uh, that's translated enjoy your company, is literally to fill me up. Right? To fill me up. Pull into the gas station, fill him up. Right? That's what he wants. He wants to fill up. But what exactly is he filling up with? Um, well, if it's food, and, and here's, here's the definition of the word, to fill up, to take one's full of to glut one's desire for, satisfy, or satiate. <laughs> okay. Now, if we're talking about food, it sounds like Paul's a pig, and he goes, when I get there, I'm going to be hungry, have lots of food. Right. And there were, you know, Paul wrote to all the churches in Rome, and uh, if he was saying, look, if every church has a potluck, I'm going to eat well, fatten me up for my journey. Well, that may have been one part of what he had in mind. But probably he was thinking something a little deeper, Right. And I think Paul was saying, I need to be filled up spiritually. I need you to care for my soul. I need to be encouraged and equipped and strengthened for my mission by you. I need you to fill me up. When I get to Rome, I'm going to be on empty. I'm going to be at the end of a trip to Jerusalem. It's going to be hard there. I'm going to be facing going out to Spain where I'm going to be Uh, in new ground, and before I do that, I need some filling up. I need some soul care. I need some encouragement. I need good, meaningful Christian fellowship within the body of Christ. And he identified Rome as a place where that could happen. He says, I need that. You can be a crucial part of my ministry by fulfilling that need. Uh, He goes on and he explains that further. Uh, In verse 29, he says, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. 
Right? The fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now the question is, is Paul hoping to bless them with the blessing of Christ or is he hoping to receive from them the blessing of Christ? Well, the answer would be yes. Right? He's, he's probably envisioning both. Right? He's saying we come in the blessing of this fellowship of community and gathering together in Christ and supporting and encouraging, blessing each other through the ministry of Christ. Um, verse 32, he says, So that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Right? Be refreshed in your company. So Paul is seeing uh, Rome as a place where he can get his tank refilled, right? where he can have his soul nurtured and cared for and, and ministered to. Right? Uh, Paul, is, Paul never did ministry as a lone ranger. He saw his need for the local fellowship of believers to support and encourage and minister to him. Um, a third thing that he looked for, I think, from them, uh, in verse 25 he says, At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem to bring aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in the material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. Um, There's a lot you could say about Paul's mission, this particular mission of Paul's. Um, uh, We we don't have time this morning to go into it all. Um, But Paul, Paul was, this was a big deal for Paul. And, and many of his letters, as he's, as he's on this uh, third missionary journey, uh, each city that he's about to go to, he sends a letter ahead, and he writes in every one of these letters about this, this collection. It is a big deal for him, very important. And he spends two whole chapters, in, in fact, in Second Corinthians, talking about this offering and making sure the Corinthians were prepared. Uh, and Paul was personally invested in it. And it's, it's interesting because this is not Paul's ministry, okay, Paul is not, for the most part, running a social charity. He's not really, it's not the main focus of his ministry to care for the poor and the needy. Certainly, he would have uh, valued and would have taught that that was an important role of every church to be caring for those in need and uh, part of our mutual fellowship and support of each other and and our outreach to the world. Uh, But he's very personally invested in this, right? So much so that he is going to personally deliver this offering to Jerusalem, okay? And he's going to do that, he knows, at great peril to his own life. In fact, later he asked for prayer because he knows that this could go badly because there are a lot of people in Jerusalem who are not real keen on Paul, right? So he's taking great personal interest in this gift. He is committed to delivering it personally, even though uh, it's quite risky for him. Well, why? Right? Why it's not his main ministry? It's not really what he's about? Why? Well, two, two quick answers to that would be, first of all, because of what he hoped this would accomplish in bringing together uh, Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. Right? He, he saw that this had potential to be very healing in the relationship between the Jewish church and the Gentile church, and he hoped it would accomplish that purpose. Secondly, though, I think Paul wanted to personally deliver it to guarantee his own and this offering's financial integrity and accountability. Right? Uh, how do we know that? Well, in, 
he says here, again, another translation that gets kind of lost. In verse 28, he says, When I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected. Literally, he says this. He says, When I have, um, having sealed this fruit to them. Okay, he says, When I, having sealed this fruit to them, I'll come to you. What does he mean by having sealed this fruit? Sounds like some kind of canning jar or something, right? What does he mean by that? Well, a seal in that time was a stamp verifying the authenticity and genuineness, the integrity of something, right? He says, look, and, and Paul understood that money always causes problems, right? You want to get in trouble, you know, mishandle funds. And he knew that there was the threat of that accusation that, that he was somehow mishandling, misappropriate, misusing funds, or that there was the temptation that somebody along the line would, uh, you know, would dip into those funds, kind of a, you know, processing fee or whatever, right? So he wants to personally go and make sure that he can seal, he can guarantee and verify the integrity of this gift, right? That it's being handled well with great financial transparency. Um, if, if you doubt it on, on the context here, you can go to 2 Corinthians 8 and read what he talks about this offering in 2 Corinthians 8 where he says this. Uh, again, talking about why he and Titus need to personally deliver the offering. He says, not only that, but he, that is Titus, has been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace, that is this, this offering, that is being ministered by us. Okay, so Paul feels this responsibility as he takes this money. He says, we do this for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course. In other words, Paul says, we, we're doing this. I'm taking this personal hands-on approach so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us. Right? So that's Paul saying, look, I don't want anybody to say, oh yeah, Paul, you know, he took this offering, this offering, and he gave some of it to the church in Jerusalem, and he used the other of it for his own mission. Right? Paul was, wanted to be very transparent. And so how does he do that? He says, for we aim at what is honorable, not only with, in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And he explains further how he uh, has involved the whole local church in, uh, in being accountable, accountable to the church for this offering. So every place he goes, he has representatives from each church who go with him, and Titus is one of them. And he says, Titus has been appointed to give financial accountability for this gift. Um, and that's how Paul operated, right? Paul wanted to be very transparent. He wanted to operate with the highest level of integrity. Okay, well, why does he bring all this up here and what has it got to do with the church in Rome? Well, I think Paul also looked to the church in Rome to do what the churches in in Antioch and Jerusalem were doing for him in the past by giving accountability to his life and his ministry. Uh, Paul recognized that up to this point in his life, he had been sent out and uh, and really... um, sanctioned, anointed by the church in Jerusalem at the Jerusalem Council and also by the church at Antioch who sent out he and Barnabas. And Paul answered to them. He was accountable to them. He reported to them. Each missionary trip he went back and he gave a report of all that had been done. Now he's going to Spain. And if you've looked at the map and you can imagine walking from Israel to Spain or at best taking a slow boat, it's a long ways, right? It's a long ways. And Paul's looking at the logistics of this, that his accountability structure now is a long, long ways away. 
And because of that, it loses its integrity. It loses its function. Because now, how is the church in Antioch going to have any idea what he is doing in Spain? So Paul is looking for the church in Rome to serve as a new home base, a new church that he can give an account to, that can hold him and that can verify the integrity of his life and his ministry. Um, Last thing he says, so that's three things. He he wants them to outfit him. Uh, He wants them to, second one, outfit care for his soul. That's right there. Care for his soul. Provide accountability. Fourth thing, uh, he's looking for people who will join him in the conflict. And he, he says in verse 30, he says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. That I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that, if all goes well, by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Um, Paul says, I want you to strive with me. And throughout Paul's writings, when he uses that term, that's how he describes ministry for him. He says, my, my ministry is striving Right? It's a battle. It is a spiritual battle against the forces of darkness to bring and proclaim the gospel of Christ to places where people have never heard. And he knew it was a struggle. And of course, he suffered uh, much. For him, in many ways, it was a very physical, spiritual battle right? as he was beaten up and imprisoned and found, encountered huge opposition and obstacles. And he says, I can't do this by myself. I need those who will join with me, who will strive, who will fight that battle in partnership with me. And so he says, look, I've, I'm writing this letter to you in Rome because I am imploring you, I'm begging and beseeching you that you strive with me, that you join me in this conflict for the gospel and for the truth and for God's salvation that he wants to bring to the ends of the, of the earth. Um, how do they do that? Well, they strive through a partnership in prayer. He says, you strive with me by praying, by joining with me in praying. Uh, and he's, he's not asking here for just casual prayer. He's, he's wanting diligent, earnest prayer. His language here is very strong. He says, I'm urging you to strive with me, wrestle with me before God in prayer. Um, not only does he want this kind of uh, diligent, uh, wrestling prayer, but he wants a very specific prayer. And Paul, throughout his letters, oftentimes asks for prayer, but usually in very general things. Here he has some very specific requests, and it boils basically down to two things. He says, when I go to Jerusalem, please pray for two things. First of all, that the unbelievers won't kill me. <laughs> right? Protection from the unbelieving Jews who really, really don't like me. So pray that I would be protected from them. Secondly, He says, pray that the believers would understand what I'm doing here. Because he knew that there were a lot of Jewish Christians who did not really understand Paul and his ministry. And all of his letters highlight where those misunderstandings come from. He says, please pray for those things. Paul knows that things could go very badly in Jerusalem. And as it turns out, they do, right? And he says, if I'm going to get to Rome, it's going to be because I have people striving with me in prayer uh, to accomplish God's mission, to see God's will done. And of course, God does answer those prayers, but not at all as Paul anticipated. Uh, things do go badly in Jerusalem. Uh, the believers, 
the unbelievers do want to kill him, and the believers do misunderstand him. And he ends up a prisoner of Rome. And uh, But he does end up, after two years, going to Rome as a prisoner, not as a missionary to Spain, but as the new founder of a new prison ministry, <laughs> where he's evangelizing prison guards and other people. Um, so, so Paul is looking for those things, right? And, and I believe, and a lot of scholars say, that um, that really is what the book of Romans is about, this letter that Paul is, is writing to this church that he's never been to because he wants to move his home base from Antioch to Rome right? because of the logistics, because of the distance, because of what's going on in his life and his new phase of ministry. He needs a new home base that's much closer, much more local and central to where his new ministry will be launched from. And uh, he's not going there just to stop off and have coffee, have some lunch. You know, He wants a long-term partnership with the church in Rome. Well, wh- why do we think that? Well, one of the main reasons we think that is because Rome, the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans, is the longest of all of Paul's letters, right? Why would he write this very long, very detailed, very explicit letter to a group of people he's inviting for coffee, Right? Imagine if we did that. <laughs> I'd like to have coffee with you, but before you do, I'd like to give you my full, comprehensive, unloaded, both barrels theology. Because we can't have coffee if you're not on board with me. Right? It would be a little overkill, right? And, you know, granted, Paul was quite intense, but even for Paul, that would be overkill. Right? He wants a partner, right? He wants a church that he knows he can align with and he can partner with and who will support him in his ministry. So Paul really is, is uh, uh, seeking to form a partnership. Well, how does he do that? Right? What is the basis of this partnership? Well, real quickly, a couple things. Um, when we look through the book of Romans, what is the book of Romans about? Hopefully somebody can answer at this point after a whole year of preaching on it. What is the gospel? Of, what, oops, there it is, the gospel. What is the book of Romans about? The gospel. It is the gospel. Um, from beginning to end, that's what he writes about. What do you think, as Paul seeks to form a partnership with this church, what would be the basis of that partnership given on what he writes in the book of Romans? The gospel, right? The gospel. Paul understands that, uh, really, the thing that makes the church the true church and that makes it a place where he can partner anywhere he goes in the world where there is a true and living church would be a church that stands solidly on the gospel that understands fully what he has talked about and written about so thoroughly in the book of Romans. By the same token, he he would say that if there is a church that is not solid on the gospel, it's not the true church of Christ. There's a problem with it, right? And he could not partner or align with them. Now, some of the things he writes about in the book of Romans, he, he believes and he's confident that the church in Rome is solid on the gospel, that they are believers, that they are Christians, that, as he says in the, uh, the first part of chapter 15, that they understand these things. Right? So he's not writing to teach them. He's writing to confirm with them his own views and his own alignment with the gospel. Uh, we, in, at Stream My Christian Fellowship and at the foundation, the Family Connection Foundation, we talk a lot about a sandbox. And what we mean by that is our, our mission and our core values and our ministry strategy, right? Kind of how we do ministry. 
And what we say is that uh, each of those things, our mission, our core values, our ministry strategy, and our, I missed one, our, uh, our culture, our ministry culture, frame the four sides of that sandbox. And that basically everybody who fits inside that sandbox we can play together with and play nicely, right? But if you're outside that sandbox, then there's going to be a problem, right? Um, well, in essence, Paul in Romans is, is describing his sandbox. He's laying out his core mission, his core values, his ministry strategy, and his culture. And if you doubt that, just read again through the, the discussion about law versus grace, right? He's talking about culture. Uh, what is his mission? He says, my mission is to proclaim the gospel. I can't wait to come to you to preach the gospel, right? He's laying out what the scope of ministry is for him and what he believes they will identify with, right? What is it that brings us all together here, right? What is it that gives us commonness? Is it our common uh, home country? No. <laughs> is it our common denominational background? No. Is it our common culture or tradition? No. Is it our even common language? You know, a lot of you uh, speak English as a second language, right? Um, some of you speak English that is different than the English I speak, right? Yours may be the correct one, mine may be the wrong one, but it's different, right? We have all these differences, right? We're from all these different places. Only a small handful are from Chiang Mai, right? What brings us together and makes us one? Well, our common mission, our common uh, goal to proclaim and to fulfill the Great Commission, which is the work of Christ to save the world that he loves, right? That's why we're here. We're here from many places to be salt and light, right? Um, so Paul, uh, Paul says if we're going to partner together, we need to be aligned. We need to be one on this, this truth of the core of what the gospel is, right? Everything else is secondary, but that is non-negotiable. Um, secondly, as they form this partnership, uh, Paul is looking for somebody who can support his specific, unique call to ministry. Okay, as, as we read through the book of Romans, he's not confused about what God called him to, right? He's not going, you know, I'm not sure, I'm a, little, I'm a little fuzzy on what I'm supposed to do. Paul knew what he was supposed to do, right? And what was his, what was his job? Well, he is the apostle to the Gentiles. Okay? And he says it over and over again. He knows what God has called and appointed him to. Right? He is not going to Rome for them to tell him his vision. Right? He's not looking for an organization or somebody who can clarify for him what he's supposed to be doing. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. He's received a clear call from God about what he's supposed to be doing. Now, as he went, that looked like different things. He was a tent maker, right? And, and for a lot of people, they may have seen Paul, and he goes, oh, yeah, he's that guy that makes tents, right? He's not a missionary. He's a tent maker, right? But Paul knew that his true calling and his true mission was to proclaim the gospel to places that had never heard who were Gentile nations. Uh, he did not need somebody to dictate or manage or micromanage his call. What he needed was somebody who could support what God had called him to do and hold him accountable to that, right? That's what he needed. And that's what he was looking for as he spells out this relationship with the church in Rome. Uh, thirdly, as, as we said, he's looking for a place to recharge. And he needs a home base. Uh, 
You know, he can't get on an airplane and fly from Spain, Madrid, back to Jerusalem or Antioch, right? It's a long trip. He needs something much more local, much closer that he can return to, to be recharged, refilled, and renewed. Right? Uh, so let me just summarize quickly uh, what I believe are Paul's goals as he writes out and as he pictures this partnership. Uh, first of all, Paul could not conceive of doing ministry apart from the local church. Right? Paul did not go out to Rome and go, you know, when I'm going to Spain, I'm going to start, you know, um, missions to Spain. Right? I'm sorry, a new organization that's going to be outside of the local church. Paul couldn't even imagine something like that. Right? And the truth is, for the first 1,800 years of the church, the church could not imagine something like that. Missions was the ministry of the church. It was rooted in the church. It was done through the church. It was accountable to the church. Now, it's not the way it works now. And I'm not saying organizations are bad. Uh, Maybe. Uh, As long as they understand their role and their relationship to the church. Because that's God's program. That's God's design. And I think Paul, if he were to uh, get transported into the future and find himself as a missionary in Chiang Mai and 2013, right? Uh, would he be applying to some mission organization? I don't think so. He'd be going, what? I'm going to the church, right? The church is the one who has the responsibility for fulfilling the Great Commission, and I will do it through the local church, right? Now, again, uh, we live in a different world than Paul lived in, and, and there's reasons why those organizations serve roles, and they do, uh, in many cases, serve the church in fulfilling its mission, right? But for, for Paul... For him, it was all about the local church. And not just the universal church, right? The local church is where real people meet together and have real fellowship and it's identified. The universal church, you know, has become this title for this nebulous kind of far out thing, right? That has neither anything to do with people or individuals or places. It's just this thing, right? Paul had no concept of that. He could not conceive of a universal church that was not made up of local fellowships of believers, Um, secondly when his ministry took him beyond the practical sphere of one church base right one local church he sought to connect with another church to service his support base right so as he's moving west and uh, his support base in in, uh, the eastern Mediterranean is no longer local for him he's looking for a local base as a as a a base of operations for his new ministry um so, so here's the deal. Paul was a person who was sent by the churches in Antioch and Jerusalem. And he was looking for a place to receive him. Okay, not a sending church, but a receiving church. Right? And as we'll see in a minute, I think that's what we are in many ways as CCF. We are not so much a sending church because you've all been sent. You all came from somewhere else, except for the six people who live here. Right? You were sent, but... We are a receiving church, and Paul was looking for Rome to do that for him, to be a receiving church who would acknowledge and, and, uh, and take him on, not because he was from there, but because he had been sent by a church somewhere else. Uh, and he was looking, as they, as they received him, to then be resent by the church in Rome to fulfill his mission um, in Spain. Um, thirdly, Paul is looking for those who will partner with his God-ordained mission. Right? He's looking at those who will join in what he knows God has called them to do. Not somebody who will dictate to him what they think he should do. He knows. He just needs somebody who will support him in fulfilling God's call in his life. 
Fourthly, what, what gave them common ground was the gospel. Right? That was the place where they had commonness and unity and oneness. Uh, it was a common ground uniting them in ministry to each other and the common goal of their mission together to fulfill the Great Commission. Lastly, Paul established and maintained integrity through accountability to the church. Paul answered to the church. He held his life uh, before the church. And he expected the church to ask him and to hold him accountable for how he lived and how he handled money and how he handled his affairs. And he needed that to be done locally. He sees now that the church in Antioch and Jerusalem can no longer give him accountability. They're too far away. He needs a local group to do that. Um, Well, hopefully, some of that rings a bell and you go, hey, that kind of fits Chiang Mai, right? If not, let let me illustrate how I think this gives us a great picture of really what we are as a church, right? Uh, we are, in many ways, uh, a receiving and a resending place, right? We're not a place that, for the most part, will send out people initially, right? Because most of us aren't from here. Right? Now, we have, we have a couple cases where we'll do that, where we will be the first ones to send somebody out. But for the most part, we're receiving people who have been sent, right? Uh, and we come together aligned uh, under the banner of the gospel, right? We come because we share that commonness with that one purpose, and together we are uh, working to fulfill the Great Commission as the, as the mission of the church. And uh, we are people sent from many different places, some sent on you know, vocational mission, some sent here for work, for business. Uh, maybe you are sent here to retire because it's cheap, right? Uh, there's maybe many reasons outwardly while you're here. But if you're a believer in Christ, you are called by God to be fulfilling the Great Commission. You are to be salt and light in the darkness of Asia. And you are to be a witness to the truth of the gospel. So we receive each other. And as, as Paul was looking for, we receive each other for these ministries of outfitting for mission, equipping, right? We should be, through the teaching of the word and through... Uh, you know, from nursery to adult, equipping and sustaining and feeding people in the Word so that they are being nurtured, fed. Uh, we do care for the soul through building community, through fellowship, through those refreshing relationships. Um, I, I shouldn't share this, but it's Greek, so I will. Last verse, we says, I, I can't wait to get to you so we can have joy and refreshment together. Literally, refreshment, literally. He says, so that we can sleep together. It's the word, okay? Uh, and it's a picture that can go bad, uh, but it has the idea of having mutual rest together, right? Of taking care of each other, helping each other recover, recuperate, refresh, renew, right? Um, we want to be a place that does that, right? We want to be a place where through the relationships that we build with each other, uh, as, a, as a community of believers, we are... Uh, encouraging each other. We are building and nurturing into each other's souls. And we all need that, right? God uh, does not sanction Lone Ranger ministers, Lone Ranger uh, missionaries, Lone Ranger workers. He calls us to be plugged into a local body of believers where we have continual relationships, not just on a Sunday morning, but where we are meeting throughout the week with people we have relationship with. We are encouraging each other. 
we as a receiving church provide accountability. Now this may be something you don't even want. We give it for free. Right? Right? And here's how it works. Uh, there's a lot of temptations in Thailand. Right? There's a lot of ways that life can go wrong here. We're watching you. Right? We are watching you. Uh, maybe not personally, but as a body, we are watching out for each other. And when things start to go bad and there are things in your life that you may start wanting to hide, that uh, you don't want other people to know, right? And, uh, you know, word gets back to your home church in your home country and they say, hey, you know, we found out that we're hearing these things about so-and-so. Do you know anything? And we say, well, no, but we'll find out. We have ways, right? We know people. And we will check and we will find out and I guarantee you, right, if you are walking down a path of sin, we will find out. We're watching for you. Right? Um, you cannot hide forever. Now, of course, we don't, we don't do this because we are trying to hurt people or judge people. We're doing it because we want to protect your life and your faith, right? We have a, a role with each other to do that, right? And if you know somebody's walking up into sin, uh, we're accountable to intervene in their life, right? We do mind each other's business. And all too often, you know, we've had to do that and intervene in situations and investigate things and find out truth. Okay? There is accountability. Um, and it's two-way. I mean, we do this uh, to each other, right, to each other. That's part of what it means to be here. Uh, And there's times when there have been false accusations. And we've been able to uh, correspond to people back in their home countries and say, it's not true. We we know these people. These allegations are false. It gives integrity. It gives accountability to what you are doing here. When you are plugged into a local fellowship, and you can say, you can ask my friends. I have people in my life that I am transparent with. You can ask them. We meet regularly. You can confirm with them, I am walking in integrity. Lastly, we as a church want to join together as partners in the battle in prayer. Right? And we, this is a value for us. We want to be praying for you. We offer it every Sunday morning. If you need prayer, we have people who are waiting to pray for you. You're welcome to send prayer letters, prayer requests. We have on the websites ways you can submit prayer needs. And we pray for those. Right? We want to be partnering in the conflict with you in the spiritual battle, right? That's what we do. We should be praying for each other. We should be lifting each other up in prayer. We should be partnering in battle. Uh, that's, what, that's a lot of what CCF is. Right? We are a receiving church, uh, much more than a sending church. And we want to do those things and do them well. Do we always do them well? Well, not as well as we wish. We want to keep developing and helping so you have a place where you are being cared for and loved and outfitted and where there is accountability and there is prayer for you, right? You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.